everyone. Welcome to another episode of Friends Missing Friends. Today, I talked to Dr. Jessica Metcalf. Her book on burnout and imposter syndrome called Speak Kindly, You're Listening came out in November 2022. That book is all about how we speak to ourselves and the importance of the words we use. During this conversation, she talked about her experience grieving a friend. And at one point, I mentioned how I hate the phrase moving on and prefer moving forward when it comes to grieving. And then I said, why does it even matter? They're just words. And she stopped me and reminded me that saying they're just words is discounting my feelings and that words actually do matter. They allow us to embrace and process our emotions in every situation, including with grief. I was fascinated by our conversation. I hope you get something out of it too. So he was, so my high school friend, so I went to a different high school from my elementary school friends. And so when we all hung out together, mm-hmm. he was, he was one of the guys who ended up hanging out with them. So that's how I ended up getting to know the extension of their friends from their high school. And we had like, one of my good friends at the time, she had had her uh, debut, which is when you turn 18 in the Filipino culture. It's kind of like a quinceanera. Mm-hmm. And um he had hosted us at his house for like the after party. Oh, wow. And like not long afterwards. Mm. And and you said it was, was it later that day or was it days later? No, it was a couple, from a timeline perspective, it was like a couple weeks later okay. um, when it happened. I'm trying to remember the specifics. It was, he was leaving a friend's house early in the morning after like a party and what they had said was he potentially reached down into like something had fallen like a CD or something and he went to go pick it up in the passenger side and went off the road. Oh my gosh. That's so sad. How, how did you as a friend group find out? So his parents ended up calling uh, my friends. And then it then just moved through the friend Mm -hmm. group where describing what ended up happening. And that was, I remember when I got the news and again, you just think you're, you're like, I just saw you like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Right. And so it's, one of those moments where you then start playing scenes out and then you start thinking about the people who were so close to him and like one of my friends who had a crush on him Mm. and it's it's really fascinating to watch people around you and see their response and not necessarily know at 18 what those heavy emotions are. Now, growing up in my family, um, 
because my extended family is quite large to begin mm-hmm. with, um, death to me was very familiar. So going to funerals and stuff, and my parents never shied away from not taking us. So we were always there. So, mm-hmm. and part of our family is like open caskets and all of that stuff. And so, um, going to the actual funeral itself was just kind of a part of the norm for me. It was one of those where, mm-hmm. okay, you go, you pay your respect. This is what you do. Like I had gotten so used to things just being very robotic mm. when it comes to funerals. And it wasn't until a couple years later when my cousin passed away that funeral started to change for me. Yeah. So in that moment, like the the thoughts that go through my mind are, okay, what do we need to do? What do we need to wear? How do we pay respect? Like you're just, you're going through like that specific process Mm -hmm. and you're not actually grieving necessarily in the moment, especially for me where I feel uncomfortable grieving with others. Mm. And so it's easier for me to just come home and manage those emotions and then process what just went down. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I'm curious to hear more about that, like how you don't like to grieve around other people. Is it just too vulnerable or it feels strange? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> so I'm gro- growing up, that was something that um, emotions were not something that we shared very openly. And this comes from both sides of my mm-hmm. family. And so... It's fascinating when I even experience my own emotions. At times, I have to give myself permission to be like, it's okay to cry and it's okay to mm-hmm. be angry and it's okay to feel all the feels as one should because it's all a part of the human experience. And so from a grieving perspective, it was it's very challenging for me to open that door, trust someone enough to be that vulnerable. To me, that's actually... Right me being at my most vulnerable Mm. is when I can open up and shed tears in front of people. Did you and your friend group grieve together in any way or did it kind of bring you apart or closer together or? Mm -hmm. So reflecting back, there was moments in time when we had gotten together afterwards where we were in disbelief. And even months later, sitting on the outside, having processed it from my perspective and still witnessing how my friends were processing it, you could see it still come up. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it pushed us apart. It just, I don't think we necessarily talked about it as much. Mm. And now knowing how much of a sensitive person I am, being that highly sensitive person and not realizing that that's what I was for a very long time. And I don't think that it's, I don't think we just talked about it in society and whatever that meant. So I was always the type of person where I felt like I needed to suck it up. Mm. And so being in front of friends and when they were sharing, I felt like I could be that person to them, which is probably one of the reasons why I ended up getting into coaching now too, is because I want to be that safe space for people to share what's going on in their life Mm -hmm. because 
they feel too vulnerable to share with others. And so being that person and sitting with my friends and trying to figure out, okay, how do we navigate these heavy emotions as 18 year olds navigating what life actually means at that age? Because I feel like, and this even holds true for when I was in undergrad is you end up feeling invincible or that you have so much time Mm -hmm. left in your life. And then there's like certain glimpses that come into fruition where you're just like, oh man, life is short and I need to really pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. Or what does this mean for me? And those are some really big questions that at times I don't think we allow ourselves to answer. I think you're right. I think sometimes it takes a really shocking, horrible tragedy for us to stop and sometimes even say, wait, Do I even like the life I'm living? Like, that's one of the many, many Mm -hmm. things that come from tragedy, I think. And kind of just like reassess. And sometimes it can make your life take a really sharp turn because of that kind of sudden realization. So, yeah, I absolutely Mm -hmm. agree with that. Have you, are you still in touch with this group of friends? It's interesting. Just in the past uh, year and a half, um covid yeah. <laughs> actually oh, yeah. had us drift drift apart a little bit um and so no i'm not in touch with uh them anymore but we had remained friends up until covid and way long after um the passing of that individual and it's interesting to look back I don't remember the last time that it was brought up and I don't know if it's just because again, those weren't the spaces that people felt comfortable enough as we got older to bring up what had happened. Mm. Cause I know for me, the way that death tends to affect me in general is I'll still have those glimpses and reminders every once in a while and feel this like full body sadness. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to navigate those emotions, you have to give yourself the opportunity to process them. And they can just come up randomly. Like even death of whether it's family members or a relative at a distance or you hear something through someone. Like I even remember when (laughs) Paul Walker passed away and how that affected me because I remember one of my first dates in like grade 10 that I had gone on was going to watch Fast and the Furious with this person. Paul Walker was like a huge part of my teenage years. And so like there's just those connections at times that you don't realize how they're going to affect you because Mm – there's a seed that was planted at some point in time and you've created a value associated with it. And so navigating those emotions, we have to make sure we give ourselves the permission to be able to accept them for what they Mm -hmm. are when they come up, even years and decades later. 
Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes those feelings can kind of sit for, like you said, decades. And it's not that you forget about the person, but it's like sometimes even new or deeper feelings can come up later. It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Was there any support, whether it was individual or group, that you wish you had gotten after this happened? Mm. Um, I wish that we had felt more comfortable talking about it more. Mm. Yeah. Um, whatever that looked like, like sometimes, and I know again, everyone grieves very differently, but like, I'm the type of person who needs to process it and not stew in my thoughts at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so the way that I prefer to process is speaking out loud with some people and what that looks like. But sometimes I need to process more than once because those emotions feel so heavy. And I think that because I've really stepped in to embrace the sensitive person that I am, and all the emotions, the array of emotions that come with it, I don't know how other people will react at times. And so going back, I think as that late teenage woman, I didn't know how to ask for what I needed at that point in time for fear of judgment. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. That hits hard. Mm. That is yeah. so hard to do. <laughs> I also didn't know how to do that in my around, I guess, sort of around the same age, early 20s. And I think I'm still learning how. And I, th I feel like it was even recently that I like learned that that was even a thing. I was like, people don't just aren't just supposed to give me the right kind of support right away without me asking. <laughs> Right? Yeah. <laughs> you're supposed to yeah, know. How do you not know? <laughs> how can you not read my mind? I don't right? understand. <laughs> right? It's like, how do, how do you not know that this, that this is how I want you to ask me those questions or hug me or whatever it is? But you, you really do. You have to share with people how you want to be nurtured. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And it makes me so sad that you all weren't able to talk as much as you wish you did and I don't know I just kind of feel like that's really sadly common that sometimes it's just so hard to talk about it that people just don't mm -hmm. and I don't know I feel like that kind of makes it fester more I mean I think there's something to be said for really opening and up opening up and talking about it mm -hmm. um even though it can be hard to know what to say like what do you even say you know but even saying like i am so shocked like my world's upside down mm -hmm. just like even saying that but it's like yeah maybe people's instinct is to carry on as normal as possible i don't know I think that that's a huge part of it because I think that just like we need to ask how we want to be 
nurtured. Um, same holds true for other people too. So for other people, their coping mechanism might be that, no, I can't talk about it. I need to manage my own emotions on my own. And so that's where it's giving everyone the permission to figure out, okay, how do you need to manage those emotions? And how do you communicate with someone that this is what you need versus this is what they need? Mm. And that's really hard if a friend group doesn't create that safe space or there's never been a reason to necessarily talk about those things in the past because no one's been affected on a common level like that. And so I I think that you pick certain friend groups to be able to share certain aspects of your life with and it may not be that every friend group is the right friend group to ask for what you need. Yeah. Yeah. It's like sometimes also you have to search elsewhere for the support, which is, oh, it can be so hard because it's like you want to get the support from the mutual friends and family, right? Like you want, or at least I do, I don't know, I want the support and the nurturing from people who knew her or knew him, the person who passed. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you also got to look elsewhere and like find it with strangers or like other friends who didn't know this person at all. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can be frustrating because you're like, oh, I just want you to be like, yeah, he was so funny. Right. And just like share like a shared memory. But you can't. And then mm-hmm. it kind of feels a little disconnected. What What are your feelings on that? Yeah, it's it depends on who you again trust with those emotions because sometimes it's a commonality where that's what you need and you get to share stories about this person with those individuals but then sometimes it's and I mean this in a way, and let me clarify this, when I need someone else who's stronger than me in that moment, and not that having emotions are being weak, it's just I feel like I need someone else's strength, whether that's mental or physical and emotional in that moment in time. Mm-hmm. So let me clarify that again. Emotions are not weak, but in that moment, I feel like I need someone else to be able to take the reins Mm -hmm. and comfort me. And so in asking for what I need from whomever it is at that point, whether it's a loved one, a partner, a close friend, the friend group itself, I have to know that I'm going to be able to walk away from that not being destroyed even more so than what I am right now. Otherwise then that's when I just retreat and I'm like, okay, well I can figure this out on my own. Mm. And that I find it makes a huge difference for me. And then I know I can then offer that to someone else as well when they're in their deepest, darkest hole, because I don't think anyone's meant to, grieve on their own we grew we all grieve in very different ways at different times Mm -hmm. even sometimes years later 
but it's giving ourselves the permission to know that, okay, when it does come up, I can ask for what I do need. Oh man, I love that so much. And I feel like I might even start asking friends and family, not even like a preemptive (laughs) question where I'm like, one day I'm going to ask, I'm going to tell you what I need. Is that okay? (laughs) So that later when I have something I need, (laughs) and then they won't be like surprised. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's so fascinating. So my, this is totally a tangent, but my mom and I's relationship is I've been a parent for a good portion of um, my life to my mom. Mm-hmm. But there was a moment in time where, so this was like years ago, had to have been like five, six years ago at this point in time. And I was having the shittiest day and week. And the people who I usually would go to were busy, but I could not shake this like really deep, heavy emotion. So my mom is not someone that I go to for that be just because of our relationship in general and that dynamic. Mm-hmm. But in that moment in time, I remember communicating. I remember getting to the kitchen table, sitting in front of her and saying, hey, I need you to put on the mom hat and this is what I need from you. She's like, and I saw her facial expression change and she was like, okay. And I shared what I was feeling at that point in time And that's when I started to realize that I can't expect, again, going back to like people just assuming they know how to take care of you or what you Mm -hmm. need. You have to be direct and you have to ask for what you need and what you want in that moment in time as support. So sometimes you try and you're asking for what, like, so for instance, if my mom's reaction didn't change the way that she did and I didn't feel like I got what I needed, then that's when I would put it on pause and then go and find the next person um, who I trust with that matter. And so that's, it's, again, it's giving yourself the opportunity to recognize not everyone's going to be a great listener. And not everyone's going to be the right listener for what you're bringing to them. So true. And I'm not going to lie. This is something I've learned very recently that, oh, not everyone has to do everything. (laughs) Like, And it was like, I would get frustrated if a friend or family member were maybe good at giving advice, but really bad at listening, for example. But maybe some that some people have different love languages, people have different ways of supporting, and I can just kind of navigate around that and be like, okay, this person's really good at listening, this person's really good at giving advice, this person's really good at whatever, um, because I'm sh- I sure as hell don't mm. do everything either, probably, so <laughs> I can't <laughs> expect other people to do that. <laughs> it's funny, I had come across... Um... I think it was, I think I heard it from Brooke Castillo first. Mm-hmm. Um, she owns the life coach school and um, she had said, she was like, we write manuals for other people in our lives. Mm-hmm. So like we have a manual for our best friend. We have a manual for our sister. We have a manual for our parents. We have a manual for our partner, but we don't actually give them the manual. <laughs> So our expectations, oh man, right? Our expectations are that, well, you should already have a copy of it and you should have read it. And these are my expectations of you. And this is how I want you to show up. But if we don't tell them 
what we are looking for, how are they supposed to know? And Brene Brown talks about this in her most recent book where she was talking about her and her partner and initially her birthday was a huge thing that they celebrated within her family. But when she was with her partner, he didn't know that that's what they did. And so he just did something that was like really small because he didn't know anything otherwise. That's the way that he had celebrated birthdays his entire life. So how was he supposed to know, right? And so it's fascinating when we think back to the expectations that we not just put on ourselves, but that we put on others, but we don't communicate them to them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And I've been learning this about boundaries. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, if you have a boundary, yeah. you got to set that boundary. <laughs> you can't, like, draw the line in your mind and then be like, how dare you cross that line? <laughs> that only <laughs> I know about. Totally. <laughs> Right. And those are like, those are two key aspects when it comes to taking care of yourself, as well as how you want others to show up or how you get to show up with others are setting expectations and setting boundaries. Mm. And they're going to be different and they're going to be challenging, but it really comes down to, and I realize I simplified it like you want to believe to two words, boundaries and expectations, but that's exactly that's exactly what it is. It's how do we choose to grieve loss and the expectation and pressure that we put on ourselves? How do we expect then someone to respond when we're grieving? Um, and then the boundary that goes into place being like, hey, I need my alone time or no, I need you here for me, right? Like those, like those are, but those are the complex aspects of it, but it all comes down to expectations and boundaries. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I'm going to be more aware, too, of other people um, and maybe even ask them if they didn't put it forth, ask, what would what do you need from me right now? Um, exactly. Because it's also nice to take exactly. that burden off them to have to like to set that. hundred percent. I wrote a blog post on this Ooh. on how to be a good listener. And it was exactly on that where you're the person who needs to share with someone else and you need to vent. It's asking that person if they have the capacity to be able to listen. But the same holds true when someone comes to you. If you're the type of person, because I know me, I'm the type of person where I'm always looking for, okay, this person is looking for a solution and how do we find that and how do we work? But not everyone wants a solution. Some people just want to be able to share what they're experiencing in those emotions. So you as the listener, if you're starting to feel overwhelmed because you're trying to search for a solution, but you don't know what this person wants, you get to also step into that conversation and say, hey, how can I help you in this situation? How can I be the best support for you? Do you want me to try to find a solution or an answer to what you're thinking about? Or do you want me to listen? And when you offer that, and the first couple of times that you do that, it may feel a little bit awkward, but it sets a precedent of, okay, now I get to take the pressure of looking for solution because my friend who's sitting in front of me right now just wants me to hear that. Just thinking back to 23-year-old me and the state of mind I was in, 
shortly after the loss. And remembering how incredibly overwhelming that was. And the tricky thing is that I was so overwhelmed, I didn't even know what I needed or wanted. Um, And it was such a shock. I'd never dealt with anything like that before that I didn't have prior experience to know either. Mm -hmm. And so I just remember... My mom and my sister called a couple times a day, every day, for several days to check in on me. And I was, part of me was kind of frustrated because I was, I couldn't even really talk. I was so distraught. I would answer the phone and we'd just sit on the phone. I'm like, I can't say anything right now. Mm. And then when they stopped calling, I was like, what do you just assume I'm okay now? Like, why would you stop calling? So it was like both (laughs) felt frustrating. And I kind of convinced myself, oh, it must be because nothing can be done. And so it made me feel that particular situation made me feel very helpless. Like, oh, no one can do anything to make me feel better. Like everything Mm -hmm. will feel lacking in some way. Yeah. So... I guess I just want to presence that that's sometimes the case, too, where it's like, especially if you're like in the tornado of it. Oh, yeah. like you don't know what you need at that point. Yeah. And that's where you can totally get cynical and irritable towards people who are reaching out to you. And that's when, again you can communicate that to them saying, hey, I don't know what I need. I don't know what I'm feeling right now. Using words like being in a tornado, I like to use the word molasses because that's what I find my sadness feels Mm -hmm. like. It's like moving through molasses. And that's okay. It's, again, giving yourself permission that when you do feel overwhelmed, there's a million different thoughts going through your head. There's emotions going through. There's being in that human experience. And I don't think we give ourselves enough credit that in order to experience those emotions, we have to be okay with it and be okay with not knowing because we always want control. We want to know, okay, if I feel sad, it's going to go away. But in those darkest moments, you don't know when it's going to go away. And when you give yourself the opportunity to go day by day and saying, okay, this is what I need today, or I don't know what I need today, but I'm going to do something for me, that's enough. Like That's more than enough. Mm-hmm. It's so important to hear that because these are things that I think a lot of people don't don't know and I certainly didn't know them. It's not something we really teach people. <laughs> no, definitely not. This is why I teach self-intelligence. This is why I teach self-intelligence now. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, I learned about, you know, hieroglyphics yeah. in second grade, you know, all these things did not learn about Right, like yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
which I think is something that's massive because it's like we've diminished what we're supposed to be experiencing. And I know, again, coming from part of my family growing up where just don't express certain emotions and just like put that down, just keep going, like that's it. I can understand that that serves a purpose in certain times or at certain moments, but those emotions, when they're strong and when you feel them strong, you've got to give them an outlet. Otherwise, them just being bottled up, whether that's excitement or grief or sadness or anger, you have to give yourself the opportunity to embrace them so then they don't get stuck inside your body. Because they literally do get stuck inside the body. The body keeps the score. Yeah. Body keeps the score. Look, I've heard about. that you say yeah. that because it's. Oh my god! <laughs> right next to you. <laughs> what? That's crazy. <laughs> oh my so god! Funny. Are you reading it right so now funny. or something? Uh, so I'm actually so I use it as uh, so going back and looking at textbooks. Textbook textbooks are great, but some of like the most amazing um, people have written novels with like science literature on understanding what's going on. So that is one in particular that I reference when it comes to connecting your mindset to your body set and understanding how stress and anxiousness comes up. And then embracing it. So then again, it doesn't stay stuck. Same thing. I've got another one that <laughs> it's a, honestly, you don't want to see my desk right now. But then like another, another, like another one that talks about like that connection between mind and body. And same thing with intergenerational traumas that have now been linked to certain RNAs. Um, so they're being passed down genetically. And if we don't give ourselves the opportunity to understand how that shows up, then how are we going to communicate to others what we do in fact need? So un until we know and start to explore ourselves and ask us what we need to take care of ourselves, how are you going to communicate that to someone? You can't put that expectation that someone else is supposed to know what you need. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, uh, I'm like, just thinking about how I'm still working through this. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> but I think that that's the beauty of it is we're supposed to work through it consistently as new people come into your life. Mm -hmm. in general, when we look at timelines, it's like this expectation that we need to process certain ways. And when we're navigating those heavy emotions, they can come up when we least expect it, whether it's a year or two years later. And it's giving ourselves that compassion and kindness in those moments recognizing that it's okay to grieve years after a funeral 
And I think that for me, and no one told me this, I don't think I really learned this from everyone. It was just an expectation that I put on myself where I had made the assumption that I shouldn't, I should be over this. And I think that that's what we do at times is when we get far enough past events that have occurred in our lives, it's the expectation that it's like, oh, well, you should be over that already. And that's not necessarily the case because we don't know what necessarily triggers or activates an emotion. Could be a smell of someone, right? It could be seeing a certain color or shirt that reminds you of that person. And all of a sudden, those emotions of loss, of absence, can come up. Yeah, and what does over it even mean? That's one thing I've been thinking a lot about, too. And it it, it reminds me of the phrase move on. And it's funny because I thought that Mm. I came up with (laughs) what I'm about to say, which is it should be move forward, not move on. And then I found out that that's like a whole thing a lot of people are saying. And I'm like, that's so weird that I came to that conclusion in my brain and then ends up it's already a thing um, all over social yeah. media and everything. But there's something about just that one change of word that feels better, even though, you know, it's they're just words, mm-hmm. you know, like, but... No, don't even do it. You're talking to someone who's all like, about no, words. words. mean a lot, <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> words mean a lot. Like even look at what you just did. There's a reframe there. And just that reframe gives you the opportunity to accept the emotions. One word. All you did was change was one Mm -hmm. word and it gave you the opportunity to give you a different perspective. And so it does, it does matter how we choose to accept our emotions, embrace our emotions, how we allow ourselves to process them so they don't get stuck in stuck inside of us. And then, like you said, what does move on actually mean? Because if we've interpreted it as moving on means then we're supposed to feel better or get over the situation. Or I know for me, when I hear the word move on, it's it's to the way that I choose to interpret it. And this is why I I feel like I can't use the word move on either is because then the assumption gets made that that person didn't matter anymore. Right. And right. and that I don't like because that person's life mattered. That person was someone to many people. And moving forward is giving us the permission to accept what happened, but knowing that you can still keep on living. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes that doesn't involve acceptance (laughs) or yeah, yeah, it just means that you're continuing forward even with the Mm all of the emotions and the feelings and that person will matter forever. They'll always matter. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that was really good. I like that, Hannah. Cause sometimes you can't, sometimes it's not acceptance, right? Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's just like, well, that's really freaking shitty. And I don't accept that, but I do have to keep moving forward. Yeah. Cause I'm also like, what does acceptance even mean? You know, like, 
And I'm like really getting into nitty gritty. I love like, this. I love. Yeah. Because like, I love sure, this. I accept that it happened in that like, I know that it happened and I'm not like, oh, that was a different lifetime. I know that it happened. In that way, yes, I accept it. But I, in no other way, mm-hmm. accept it because I am against it with every fiber of my being. Like if I could turn back time mm. or go into another multiverse, I would. So I don't even really relate to the word acceptance, except for the fact that like, yes, it happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. This goes back to choosing words mm-hmm. that and what that means to you and when you assign a value to a specific word your perspective ends up changing and it might be that that's just not the right word for you just like you mentally processing and recognizing that move on wasn't the word for you either and it was move forward so now it's giving you the opportunity to be to expand that vocabulary so then your emotions don't become so heavy that you feel like you're drowning in them. Mm. Oh, yeah. I need to come up with a different word. And also, the stages of mm. grief are not real. They're not no, linear. They're not. And even the, the person who invented them regrets. regrets I know! <laughs> when I yeah. found that out, I was like, oh, yeah. My God. And we are so obsessed with these freaking stages. Like, why? But, okay, so let me give give you my opinion on that. Why are people so obsessed with the, I think it's the seven stages. I think that's what they they came up with, these seven stages of grief. Or or five, whatever it is. Um, I think one of the reasons why people are so obsessed with it is because it gives them the opportunity to understand what they're feeling. Because as a society, we don't, again, talk about self-intelligence. We don't understand some of those heavy emotions. And we may have gone through life not realizing that that's what those emotions are until we're in some of the deepest, darkest, heaviest emotions that we're trying to process. And so I can't remember her name right now, but when she came up with those grief stages, they were actually of the patience. They weren't of, it was the acceptance of towards death. It wasn't family members grieving loss after their loved one's death. It was what the patient was going through. And when we feel like we don't have control, and some of our emotions can make us feel like we don't have control because we don't like to feel uncomfortable as humans, we want more certainty with it. And so we become obsessed with this because if we know that there's only five emotion stages that we have to go through, we then think, okay, there's going to be an end. I'm not going to feel shitty anymore. But that then Mm. puts a significant pressure on what someone is experiencing. And it's different for each one of us. So I think one of the reasons why people become so obsessed is because it gives them an opportunity to make sense of what they're experiencing. And I also want to add to that for some people, the stages might be really comforting. And if that's the case, I don't want to take it away from them. But I think it's if Mm -hmm. it pigeonholes you or makes you feel like you're doing it wrong, then I say, like, throw it out the window. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. come up with different words that feel good or no words at all. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Or no words at all. Yeah. If, oh, I love that. And I think that that needs repeating is, is that if you feel like you're doing it wrong, then throw it out the window mm-hmm. because there is no right or wrong way to grieve, to process those emotions. So I think when someone is in that deepest, darkest hole, I want them to realize that the dark isn't necessarily something bad because I think that that's what we've made it and we've interpreted it to be someplace bad. But the dark can also be a place where we heal because the dark is where we rest, where we sleep, where we get to dream, and that's not so scary. So it's recognizing that even though you may feel like you're in that deep, dark hole, that you can still find hope there. Thanks for listening. Friends Missing Friends is produced by me, Hannah Rumsey. Sound engineering is by co-producer Eric Siegling. Original music is also by Eric, featuring The Lost Wayne. Artwork is by Heidi James. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Together, we can cherish and remember the friends we miss. See you next time.